Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Gary Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. We have a top 10-ish episode for y'all today uh, for March of the Machine. But first, Brian, I need to regale you with stories from Richmond, Virginia. I would love to hear those stories. Few places uh, are nearer and dearer to my heart than Richmond, Virginia Convention Center, where I've been... Yes. I don't even know how many times, like just unfathomable times, more times than anyone should ever be to one convention center. Although I really like, what's the name of the Asian place? I don't think you're as big of a fan as I am. I think it's a Korean place specifically. And I know. Ch- Ch- <laughs> Is it Jay Kogi? Cause I ate there okay, today. That, that's it. Yeah. I know. I know Cho always wants to go with me and uh, I'm a big fan of Jay Kogi as well. So I'm glad you got it in while you were there. Well, uh, Jay Cho may have had something to I do believe with it. it. So <laughs> he's like, what do you want to do for dinner? I was like, I don't care. I never care. You know, food is mostly fuel to me. And he's like, Jay Coke. I'm like, yeah, let's yep. do it. Love it. So some things never change. And I, like you had been to the Richmond convention center many times. And I think given that I live here and especially, you know, 10 minutes away from it, I am racking up more and more appearances very quickly. That makes sense. I expect that to be your home turf, uh, especially given like how rarely you travel to other places. I think a lot of your attendance at Magic tournaments will be even more centered around the Richmond uh, Convention Center, if that is possible. Yeah, I mean, at least until I get the hell out of yeah. here and figure out where I want to no, go. But, enough. you know, that's a, that's a story for another day. Anyway, uh, there was an SCG slash command fest i don't know there's a bunch of like command fest type things happening this weekend i know there's like one in indianapolis one in seattle i think there's one in florida they're just all over the place right so scg is running the one in richmond and they're also doing uh some 5ks some rcqs and uh modern 20k that started on saturday and i guess we're recording this uh sunday morning at 2 a.m because that's the kind of sleep schedule I'm on, which happens to work out pretty well with your New Zealand time. So uh, sort of still like in the middle of the event. And I don't know if this is stuff that we're going to get to talk about later on or anything. So I just want to give you like the Q&D of what is happening. Well, yeah, I already saw the top eight results from the battle hardened going on. So I know most of what I need to know. But Uh, if there's anything else, you can fill me in. Uh. I I failed to mention that, yes, there is also some flesh and blood mm. happening uh, in, in the event. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm me. So I didn't know if I was, like, going to play or if I was going to, you know, register and then drop or, like, register, play around and then drop. You know, just It all depends on how I'm feeling, right? But I had that is a deck for Modern that I was really liking and was working on that a little bit. And at some point came up with the brilliant idea of adding mopey black cards to my blue and red deck to make it a fully fledged Grixis deck. Perfect. What could go so, wrong? That always makes all these decks better. Uh, in theory, it does. Absolutely. In theory. On paper, looks phenomenal. Uh so I, I have that list and I don't know. I could I could post it at some point, but I, it's it's one of those things where it's like you know don't try this at home, mm-hmm. kids. Uh, so I eventually 
uh, I think like Wednesday, I was just like, I, I should not do this. You know, like if, if there's a tournament here, it's pretty easily accessible. I don't know how many tournaments I'm going to play in necessarily. Like I should try and win. I should play something that I know is good. Right. So like I went back to actually just retooling uh, the is it deck made a couple changes that I thought were really, really good. And I was, I was dead set on playing. Right. Enter one Joshua. Chen. I told, I told him uh, maybe a week earlier, like, Hey, this Richmond thing is happening. I don't know if you have any interest in coming down, blah, blah. He was like, yeah, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. And then Thursday he was like, uh, actually, no, nah, I might, I might come down. And I'm like, uh, okay. Cause I don't know. It means that I have to put like a, a second deck together potentially. And also, you know, figure out what I think like would be good for him to play and good for me to play and everything. And eventually settled on, it is probably best for him to play. Is it cards? And for me to find something else. So then I went to work figuring out what that something else was going to be. And what was it? And we'll get okay. there. Uh, so then a few hours later, he's like, actually I'm coming down tonight. So uh, he, had, he had looked at the event schedule and there was a sealed 5K starting on Friday. I didn't know that they were just a, like a full three-day thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think I did know that. I've, I've heard rumors of a full three-day thing. Yeah, I, I didn't. Maybe I should have known, but I just didn't think that that would be a possibility or whatever. So he was like, yeah, I'm, I want to play sealed bright and early Friday morning. And I was like, oh. Okay, uh, so then instead of working on decks and whatnot, I was like, well, I should probably get this place suitable for guests, you know, so uh, there, there is no better feeling to me than like the feeling of panic and just the fact that like deadlines are approaching because it makes it so I actually get shit. Yeah, it's certainly the best motivator. Yeah, and was talking to a few people this weekend fellow ADHDers who can certainly relate and we're just kind of sharing stories like along those lines and it's you know just stuff that like I've been here for six months or whatever right and I I certainly should have just done this stuff a long ass time ago but like I don't have guests like who cares right but this gave me a good reason to like actually get some stuff done which then put off the magic stuff and you know, Josh showed up, we hung out for a little bit, went to sleep, woke up, went to the sealed thing. And I was like, I'll, I'll figure out the deck stuff on Friday. Right. So Josh, the morning of is like, oh, I should probably look at the spoiler because I have no idea <laughs> what's in this yeah, set. Decent idea. Which it's, it's pre-release weekend, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was not the only person doing that, but we figured some things out after Josh opened his sealed deck. You ready for this? I'm ready. There is a battle in every pack. Okay. Okay. There is also the multiverse legend stuff. Yeah. How much of that is present? There's one in every pack. Oh, that's more than I expected. Uh, there are 65 of these cards. Okay. And... They're mostly pretty good, that, right? Like... Uh, a lot of them are pretty good, yeah. Uh, a lot of, you know, various praetors and whatnot. So Ragavan. you could end up you could end up having, like, the mythical sealed deck with 18 rares. Mm -hmm. So, yes, uh, Josh, round three or something, 
it's like sitting next to someone thankfully not seeing across from them but like person just like yeah turn one ragavan go it's just like holy shit yeah man. it's just good limited are you kidding me <laughs> and then yeah there's dude there's stuff like skitherix and Perfect. uh yeah seven mana unbeatable elish norn uh brutaclad found out what that card did you know nope, that card sure don't uh is it six mana four four legendary whatever creature tokens you control have haste at the beginning of combat on your turn create a two one blue phyrexian mirror artifact creature token then you may choose a token you control if you do each other token you control becomes a copy of that token oof pretty good with like uh the the processor stuff you mean the, the incubate, incubate stuff? stuff thank you yeah okay so that is not a light bulb that immediately clicked in my head but yeah, as it turns out, that's a very strong interaction. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, just random Gigantha companions and shit. Just completely wild, man. It's it's so weird because the rest of the set seems really good for limited. I I like the look of like everything that I saw going on. You know, uh, it seems like high power level, but there is a lot of counterplay. Uh, unlike, I guess one was the last set but like even streets like people had that complaint yeah. where it's just like you know you get run over there's not a whole lot you can do blah 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 i think that's very very different in this set but then you're just like throwing a bunch of like weird ass mythic rares into it too okay so it sounds like there was a good foundation and then it kind of got handed over to the clown squad at some point where just anything could happen and which is like i don't I don't know. That, that's fine in its own regard. Like I don't I don't think that's the worst thing occasionally to happen. I wouldn't want to play sealed in that format, but I think it's like it it's generally okay if you want to do that. Yeah. So uh anyway, Joshua very easily makes top eight of the sealed tournament. And at at some point I'm like napping in the car because my sleep schedule's a mess and you know, just it, like sleep like absolute garbage before the event i think i woke up at like 3 a.m or something uh so yeah my my friday was really weird josh was just like crushing people and then the top eight draft started the next morning at 8 30 a.m so we had to get up at seven mm. to to get ready for this thing uh but in actuality i you know slept for two hours or something and got up at five and it's i'm, I'm just a mess man but Anyway, uh, I, I was awake and also had some time before the modern thing started to finally do my homework. And I was doing some on Friday and I was like, okay, well, I, I think I will try out uh, Omnath again because there have been some fairly successful lists recently and I had some ideas and everything. And I think I did a lot of good work. Again, like the, the panic, the deadline setting in made me actually break down and like look at the mana base and figure out what combination of like triumphs and duels and fetches and everything was actually correct. And I think I ginned it, dude. I think I actually like nailed the mana base, but the tournament did not go great because I, I didn't play any games beforehand. So I didn't really know that this was going to be a problem, but the, the list that I did well with before the, you know, Urian traverse, risen reef thing was super clean because it had like low land count and traverse mm. and then th this one this one doesn't have any of that 
you know, that cleanliness. Like the, the other version kind of functioned like, uh, uh, you know, some some sort of like cantrip base deck, like not playing out like Delver exactly or whatever, but like that sort of thing where it just felt like you always had, you know, the right colors of mana, the right mix of lands yeah, and spells. Yeah, you got your options reliably. Yeah, and, and this one didn't really have it. I think uh, four of the five games I lost, it was like my turn six rolls around, I take my draw step, and my hand is a second copy of Renin Six and five land. Mm. Not ideal. Nah. So gotta gotta go back to the drawing board and, and figure out that aspect of things. But as far as like, you know, controlling the game, making sure I don't die, getting a bunch of two for ones or whatever, like the deck was very, very good at doing that. And a lot of that had to do with Risen Reef, but like the Traverse one just had so many copies of Risen Reef that you could just double up. And even if your draw was like a little land light or a little land heavy, you know, you're you're drawing like five cards a turn or something once you have two Risen Reefs, right? So uh, it, was, it was pretty easy to fight through it at that point. But this, this version was just like, I have one Risen Reef and it like kind of helps, but you never really get to the point where you're actually just like steamrolling your opponent, you know? So maybe... Maybe Risen Reef is not it because it's not as easy to like double up on things. I did play two copies of the five mana Elish Norn, but I just never, never got to cast it. So hear, hear me know. out. 80 cards, no Urian. That's what you're missing, Gerald. That's where all the consistency lies. You get to put it all back yeah. together. I mean, add 20 cards, but four of them are Mistress Bobbles and four of them are Traverse. And yeah suddenly everything is unlocked. It's super good. I, I hate being that person, but like there, there probably is some merit to considering like what a 72, 74 card. Like, is there actually a list where you expand and it becomes better because of it? I do. I do think that is possible more often than we give it credit for. It's not easy. It's not something that should happen all the time, but it is more possible than we give it credit for. The flip side of that is why not just play 60 and play three ofs? You could do that. I mean, I, I, it's not like I think we're, it, I'm adding a bunch of tutor targets yeah, yeah. to my deck that I That's don't That's what I was going to say is that if there's one ofs, then that sort of negates that, um, which I have to assume there's some when you're playing Traverse, right? When you're playing Traverse, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I had Eladomri's Call in my deck for a little bit, but it's just so clunky and so bad, and I hate it so much that uh, that combined with the fact that you don't have mistress bobble and a bunch of like one mana things that go to your graveyard anymore so like the Emrakul the promised end is not as appealing i was like god do i even want this in my sideboard and then megas of the moon has its own problems especially when you're cutting abundant growth mm -hmm. because you're not playing urian mm -hmm. so i was like i the, the tutor targets that i would have in the old version for traverse in my sideboard i was like i don't even want to play with eladomri's call in my deck so that it's clunky it's it's pretty mopey i was just like i'm just gonna cut it play a raw second copy of elish norn and like not be tutoring and stuff but yeah um it was it was interesting and then uh josh played the breach version of is it uh again basically blind you know had had no practice with it had had a bunch of like murktide reps right but this deck is is very very different and it's very specific. Like you kind of need to know uh, exactly like what you're trying to to do mm -hmm. in in each game. And he didn't have the reps for that. And I tried. I wrote a sideboarding guide for him, but like a lot of it was like you know if 
if X, then Y and, and, you know, do all this sort of stuff. And it like, that was not easily transferable, I guess. It was just like stuff that I'm able to figure out when I'm there, like playing the games or whatever. But like when he's just trying to like follow my instructions, the instructions are very, very unclear. Turns out magic is a hard game. Who knew? It is. It, it, yeah, it's really hard to just be like, oh, well, you know, the, the Magic the Gathering cliff notes are thus, right? It's just like, no, nah, it doesn't really work that way. As much as we would like it to. I mean, I often approach it that way. And sometimes it works out, honestly. Like, you've built up, you know, 20-plus years of reps. You are able to get away with some of that. But also, it will occasionally humble you and make you feel very foolish at the same time. Yeah. So, I learned a lot in regards to four-color. I... I do want to talk about that mana base at some point. Basically, the secret lies, Brian, in Mardu Trium. Okay, as it always does. So we all, we know the answer to all things is just always Mardu. So exactly, exactly. So uh, Mardu Trium breeding pool uh, casts all of your stuff, including like you know sideboard cards, and uh, you have to change around the fetches and play like wooded foothills instead of misty rainforest, you know, stuff like that. Uh, when you don't have a basic mountain in your deck, but I think, I think it is actually like some galaxy brain stuff. I was, I was pretty pleased with myself. Sounds like an interesting problem to solve. It was, uh, but I knew it was going to take a while, you know? So I I just needed like that panic, that deadline. And then I actually just spent an hour on it. And I, I think I got there. So, if I ever revisit that deck, then I will have a very, very good starting point. And now I actually have like, you know, this this was basically like the playtesting for me. You know, I got that under my belt. But for that big tournament that's coming up. Well, yeah, I know we're we're going into Pioneer season two, which is kind of disappointing because I really like modern, don't really like Pioneer. Although uh. again, we're still in the middle of the event, right? But like uh there's there's a an RCQ tomorrow that I can play that a starts at 2 p.m oh, which nice. rules yeah. you just get to sleep in and the other incredible thing about it is it's just five round single limb if yep. you five amazing. you get it and as they all should be awesome awesome stuff so i i'm not excited to play pioneer but uh just like oh the, the format is so good you know what about mom cards are, are they legal in that rcq Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the other thing, too. It was like, yeah, this is pre-release weekend and like, you know, no one owns any stuff and like the vendors don't have it. But like, yeah, that stuff's legal. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, Well, I wasn't really thinking about that. So then we did like another glance through the spoiler and was like, are any of these cards good in modern? It's like and nothing that we're interested in. Yeah, I'm not so sure about modern, but Pioneer, I actually think this is quite an exciting set and maybe a card that we also think is exciting in standard will have an impact on Pioneer. Well, we can talk about that when we get there. All right, let's let's do it. Okay, so we have our top 10-ish list. My rules were no boring removal, sweepers, lands, or reprints. Just because if we wanted to like put good removal spells on the top 10, we would probably just have like a top seven instead. And that's no fun. It's like good card is good. We, we, understand yeah, there, there this, is right? some quite good removal in the set too, but we right. get that. Uh, and then the thing that I tried to live by as far as like what card, what, which cards deserve to be on the top 10 are 
ones that I will be surprised if they don't see standard play, which I think is generally a pretty good metric or a, a way of thinking about it because we can look at cards and be like, this is very powerful, but it's not what the format wants right now or there's not a home for it or whatever. And it's really hard to to kind of like balance the two where, you know, do you want to just like rate things on power level in a vacuum because that's not really how anything works right like everything is context dependent so like i want to talk about cards that i i think are actually going to see play and like make an impact in the format you know i think that that is the most relevant version of the show that we can produce. i agree with you and i took a very similar approach to my list and what is most interesting is that our two lists they they came very close to each other like very very close which is either a sign that we're smart and we figured things out and we think about this <laughs> the same way or we've spent too much time around each other and we've warped our brains to see through each other's twisted viewpoints and now we will both be made a fool of with this top 10 list correct uh yeah you you sent me your list and i was in the middle of working on mine like i went through basically wrote down all the cards that i i liked and then i was starting to narrow it down i think i had like six or something and uh, I think five of my six were on your list or something. And then certainly like the rest of your cars were also in the big, the bigger master list that I made. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay. um, Yeah. Maybe we, we just like hive minded each other and uh, we're very wrong or maybe, maybe we're onto something. I don't know, but uh, removal spells that I really like for this set are pylon, stoke the flames, volcanic spite, and here he's warcrafting and sunfall and not going to, you know, go ahead and like read those cards or anything, but like just so you know, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, Pylon was the one that really stood out to me. Probably like a pretty high contender on my top ten list. Should we include removal? But like you said, that's boring. Just assume that card is really, really good. Yeah, and uh, dude, where do you want to start? Because I I have like this list of cards that I just want to like shout out by name. I have an honorable mention that I want to talk about like a little bit more in depth uh we had uh another card that we ended up cutting from our top 10 that want to talk about a little yeah, bit let's, so like where, where do we let's begin? hoot and holler about the cards that ultimately didn't make the list and then we'll work our way through the list and that includes those honorable mentions the cards that you know kind of got left behind in our bartering process where we solidify our top 10 list all that stuff can can live in this section of the podcast okay so uh so some of the cards on this list i will admit are not necessarily things that uh i would expect to see standard play but this is more of the like this is the stuff that i like you know and i I think it's like cool or good or could potentially find a home or whatever uh but it's because they probably won't see play or some of them one of them is captive weird that's the one where it's like i like this but it definitely does not fit the rules of like what it takes for it to be on the top 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's one of the cards. Uh, Dejeru and Hazaret, Elish Norn, Chandra, Hope's Beacon, Fairy Mastermind, Grafted Butcher, Surge of Salvation, Progenitor, Exarch, Dusk Legion Duelist, uh, Thalia and the Gitrog Monster, Zimone and Dina, Bloodfeather Phoenix, Zergo and Ojutai. I think all those cards, you know, are, are pretty good and could potentially be in the top 10 for most of them. And... Uh, just goes to show kind of like how how deep the set actually Yeah, 20 is. cards deep. 
I, I think that's a good way of putting it. There's just like 20 really good cards that have a very high chance of not only seeing standard play, but being important players in standard. And these being left out shouldn't render them unplayable. Well, maybe some of them, but they're mostly very interesting cards that I would be uh, looking to build around on day one and see if I could find something really powerful outside the current prescribed metagame. You remember how high people were on concealing curtains? I do. Uh, and I think Captive Weird is just better than that card. Not that, yeah, that, that doesn't say anything, anything whatsoever. Or, yeah. Although uh, Concealing Curtains recently just made a, a top eight of the last, uh, whatever they're called, RC, I guess. I know. Uh, there finally yeah. was I one know. copy of Concealing Curtains in the mix. So, Well, there you go. Uh, as far as the bartering card, you want to talk about Shieldred? Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from on this card. This is one that was on my list, not on your list. And I I do understand why when you look at com- comparables, children. All right, let's let let's let's read ahead. it real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. From, from here on out, we'll read sure. cards. Uh, so Shieldred is 3BB, 4-5, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, Menace. When this enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature, a Planeswalker. Uh, 4B, exile this, then return to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only as sorcery and only if an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. Backside is the True Scriptures, a saga, chapter one. For each opponent, destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls. Chapter two, each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. And chapter three is put all creature cards from all graveyards onto the battlefield under your control. Exile this, return to the battlefield face-up. Yeah, and I I think you're biggest knock against Shouldered is in the competition spot, which like I said, very much makes sense. There's things like uh, Cruelty of Gix, Invoke Despair. Those are banger cards at five cost, already very much occupying that spot in black. However, I think that Shouldered has the highest floor of all three of those cards. And I get that that's not always what determines success. Like it is very much about like spike turns and getting the most out of your cards. I, I think there is no such thing as a bad shoulder. It's just going to be this stupid four or five menace at an acceptable cost. And you can, you can live with that. It's never going to be a disaster and you're probably going to get something when you play this. It's very rare that it's just blank and a four or five menace. But even if it was that you'd be like, okay, not what I was looking for here, but I can live with it especially when you add into the mix the ceiling on the backside of this card, which I'm not at all convinced you have to work for. I think you just play the game and then the ceiling will yeah, eventually... If it happens, it yeah, happens. It, it will eventually become available to you. And that backside, this this flip saga, is game-winning. And that's enough for me. Like you're, You have a combination of a very high floor, this card doesn't really fail, and this game-winning ceiling like the range it is occupying on that spectrum in some ways feels larger to me than the range of Invoke Despair. Now I get you can just like play Invoke Despair and win the game on the spot. That is very, very hard. Like actually just win the game, the game ends. That's very, very hard to compete with as far as the ceiling goes. Um, But I, I think like when you talk about total impact in terms of like comeback potential in a game that you really should have no business eventually winning, I think Shouldered goes a lot further closing those gaps i think this would have been on my top 10 list despite all the competition it is going to face and at some point that competition is going to leave and then i think children's just like the banger five drop choice at least for the time being listen i've played 
Guilt Leaf Winnower in Constructed. It's not good. And, I'm not trying to say it's good. And no, I'm I'm saying like that card sucked. Yeah. And I it was it was still correct to do, and I was happy that it was in my deck. This is just such far in a way a better version of that type of thing. Just like a, a five mana flame tongue kabu. Effectively, it has the awesome, awesome non-token creature clause, mm-hmm. which I think is is super undervalued. It has five toughness, which matters it a lot. The planeswalkers, has, which is kind of new for this type of effect. Yeah, normally it's just like, well, if you want to play this, yeah, it's good against creatures, bad against any sort of like controlling your mid-range deck. Not true here. Has meta still, and then. Yeah, you have the 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 backside thing, but the the problem I do have with it is invoke despair uh existing and you could maybe make the argument for this is easier to yeah, cast. Yeah, that doesn't and really like, matter oh, that much. It doesn't matter right now. And it's it's kind of silly, um but you know, I I think a lot of people will be like, well, it's it's like one colored pip, like how much does it matter? It actually does matter a lot especially when you're talking about like going into like the third black when you're normally playing like three color decks. But in this specific instance, it yeah, it basically doesn't matter at all. So uh, I, I do like Shieldred as a card. It's just in, in the context of things, I mean, people would, re- they refuse to put down Invoke Despair even when I thought they should, mm-hmm. right? And they're certainly not going to put it down now that there's a, a different five drop, you know, it's like, it is a, a thing that people are going to continue doing. It's it's intoxicating, like, resolving that card, right? Like, you feel like a god. Fair enough, yeah. So, whereas you, you're absolutely correct that the floor on Shieldred is much higher. You know, it's like, if you are very far behind, Shieldred is, is much better. Just getting, like, the extra body and, in a lot of instances, Invoke is either, you know, just, you know, draining them. Uh, and drawing you some cards or killing like their absolute worst stuff. And I think for the most part, Shieldred is going to kill something good. It's providing a relevant blocker body, uh, possibly helps you like win the game quicker too if your opponent's still like a full 20 and everything. But uh, ideally, those decks don't get into those situations where they're super far behind and Invoke can't save them. So that's kind of their whole game plan. No, that's true. You, you build around that card and you can do so very successfully. So if if I'm wrong, dude, I'm happy because uh, that means we get to play this card, and I think that that would be sweet. But I I don't see it happening, but I could definitely be wrong. Okay. So uh, my honorable mention is Invasion of Call Time, and this is a battle that costs three R. It has oh no the text version on scryfall doesn't list the the defense four. i think it's four it's four okay okay uh when this enters the battlefield exile all cards from your hand then draw that many cards until the end of your next turn you may play cards exiled this way for defense backside pyre the world tree enchantment discard a land card this deals two damage to any target whenever you discard a land card exile the top card of your library you may play that card this turn i think this card is really powerful and really cool it just does so many things that are weird as hell that it's difficult for me to imagine where exactly this fits in, but I I do believe in it. Like, I do think that this card is going to show up and, and do good things, but I couldn't tell you 
remotely what that is going to look like right now. Well, I, I agree with you in terms of power level on this card. I think it's absolutely there. And if you listen to our cast where we first talked about Invasion of Call Time, you kind of went through the, the discovery process with us. And I am a believer in the output of this card. I just think it's got more of a role to play in older formats. I think it just really goes to the moon there. And that's not to say it's unplayable in standard, or maybe you can't do something in that space as well. I do think that is within the range of possibilities. It's just so much easier for me to see a path forward when it comes to modern, maybe even pioneer. But that speaks volumes about just how good this card is. And that means it's worth right. finding ways to build around it when you get to standard. So if the pieces line up, I think there's no doubt this card has the pedigree to be good enough and deserve a spot on the top 10. That's a big if, though, and we have to kind of watch and see if that happens. Yeah, and again, this the set is pretty good, right? So if the set were a little lighter, you could make some more speculative picks for things like this and I think not be too far off base. But yeah, now talking about how like this is actually legal in the tournaments that are happening this weekend and how the thing is pioneered tomorrow, I mean, if there's any format where I thought that this is maybe... Uh, potentially busted like you know maybe there are better ways to like blink it or whatever just like actually try and abuse the hell out of this thing or have ways to maybe take advantage of the backside better than you could in mm -hmm. standard like pioneer is probably it pioneer is probably the sweet spot right? so so someone someone has me a list and also has a time machine i guess because this probably won't come out till like monday or whatever uh hit me up I want to know. I want to see your invasion of Kaldheim Pioneer. No, that's for that next mythical tournament that you're preparing for right now. Again, Pioneer season is coming up, so maybe it's not that mythical. Fair enough. Know. Okay. Uh, we didn't exactly order these. I guess we could have, but I think there was also a pretty clear divide between like the top half and the bottom half. So we just sort of split them like that. So we got like a top five and a bottom five. Of the top ten, yes. Of the top 10, yeah. But talking about the bottom five cards in the set would probably not be No, no, nobody would listen to that show. I'm surprised they listen to this show, honestly. But yeah, definitely not the bottom five card show. Same. Uh, should we just go and like how I have them listed? Because sure. like, who cares? Yeah, that works. Okay. So this card is anywhere from number six to 10. Tied tied for sixth. Let's say that. Uh, Scorn Blade Berserker. I don't know what happened with this one. Was this... Like, we'd gone through the black cards and then the full uh, spoiler came out? I believe out, so. I believe this was a late ad. Or it's an uncommon. You know, sometimes we pay a little less attention to uncommons, but this is not the type of one that you and I would typically ignore, so. No. Okay, so this is B for an O one creature human berserker. Backup one. Backup is when this creature enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. If that's another creature, it gains the following ability until end of turn. And uh, the ability that this card has that it can also grant to something else is one, sacrifice this creature, draw a card. Uh, kind of similarly to Invasion of Call Time, I don't know what the hell exactly we're supposed to be doing with this thing, but it's also probably a lot easier to figure out than something like Invasion of Call yeah, Time. Yeah, I just think you get up to some of the same shenanigans you've only always gotten up to with these effects. You have disposable creatures lying around. You have benefits from when your creatures die. You uh, now get this. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I thought of one who you got. Uh, that blue and black card. There's several, the, there's several the of those, which, which one? No, the, the, the business and the delis, the team up, uh, hit it, Sugo and Kyrie. Okay. 
the five mana ETB draw three puts you back. When this dies, exile the top card. Target opponent loses life equal to its mana value. Yeah. And then if it's if it's an instant or sorcery, you may cast it without paying its casting cost. There's like the ten mana deal eight. I saw people building decks around that, and it's like with this card, what you want is a a way to sacrifice it or whatever, right? And this, this kind of like oh, it's a very very reasonable way to go ahead and sacrifice this card. And I, I just think this card is such good glue, right? Like you're the worst version of this card is a one mana one two that you can just block with and then pop off and turn it into another card. That's the worst version of this card. That and it's a human. Yeah, that's a really good broke. worst version. Like that is just fantastic. I'm I'm more than happy to do that. When this is splitting its ability across two places, when you know it's using its O1 ability to fuel something else, like village rights or whatever sacrifice water you want to use, but it's also imbuing its draw card ability to someone else and you're able to just cash in that fodder you have lying around it's really cool how many options this card gives you while again we talk about floors and ceilings a lot when it comes down to top 10 shows i just think the floor on this card is one that i would happily play you you could not have these backup shenanigans you could just have a black creature that had honestly it could be an, probably an 01 black creature that had one sacrifice this creature draw a card and i would still be at least somewhat interested in it i would try and find a home for it yeah might not be top 10 or whatever, but you'd still look at it and be like, this is playable, yeah. you know? No, 100%. And I've built too many decks that try and leverage these type of effects over my very long Magic career. And it's glue like this that makes those decks really, really shine. So I just think this is a good solid tool to have in our standard toolbox, maybe in our Pioneer toolbox. Like, I I could see it. It's, it's very, very cheap. It does a unique thing. Actually, yeah, I mean... I I've messed around with a bunch of different versions of Mayhem Devil sure. decks in in Pioneer and my lists were way more low to the ground than a lot of other people's. I think I just played like fewer three drops in general and uh some of the one drops are really really good, right? But Sometimes you end up playing stuff like Shambling Gas when it's like, that's not really a, a pioneer power level card. Maybe when there's like a bunch of land or elves in right. the format, which is when I was messing around with that deck, there was. But uh, that with like Unlucky Witness and stuff like that, it just like, it, it definitely gives you such a high concentration of, you know, different sack outlets and stuff too. And that deck is a pretty big fan of just having additional... uh you know, one mana creatures anyway. And this one is, is pretty good at that. And I don't know, Todd Anderson was doing like Tyvar yeah. collected company stuff yep. and uh ended up playing one of the crappy like B two ones because he could like return it or whatever. And it's just like, I don't know, something like this just seems like so much better in a deck like that. And obviously we're doing like Priest of Forgotten God stuff. Tyvar is returning things on the cheap and yeah. I, I also wouldn't sleep on the ability to just ship this plus one, plus one counter wherever you want it. Like, that is a very real yeah, combat-breaking no, effect, all coming alongside all these other things you get from this very, very small package, so. No, that's true, too. All right, also tied for number six, we have Bloated Processor, 2B, 3-2, Creature Phyrexian. Sacrifice another Phyrexian, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. When this dies, Incubate X, where X is its power. Uh, incubate is create an incubator token with X plus one plus one counters on it and two transform this artifact it transforms into a zero zero 
Phyrexian artifact creature, uh, you know, noteworthy that it's not like exile it, then bring it back. Like if if the token has been around, you get to attack with it the turn you activate it. So uh I, I I've liked this mechanic. I, I mean I was watching like games of limited, right? But uh I I definitely see the appeal in constructed. I think the activation cost is not that big of a deal uh for the most part. And I think that the incubate stuff when it's on cards like this, where it is it, it does appear to be like pushed for constructed, like the number is high mm-hmm. enough that it's worth paying that mana or whatever. Like it it looks like it is going to play pretty well and uh be reasonably powerful too. Uh so I don't know. That's this this card I like a lot. And there's already like a lot of Phyrexian stuff. There's certainly a ton of Phyrexian support in this set also. Yeah, I think this card is just badass. It's the reason I want to explore Phyrexians as a tribe. In multiples, you kind of get this protection for your bloated processors where you always get the incubator token out of it. And I just think like, man, Phyrexians are pretty good. And the one that stands out, like the one that solidified, I was going to put this on my top 10 list. I was pretty close anyway, but then I saw Grafted Butcher, and Grafted Butcher is one colorless black creature, Phyrexian Samurai. When Grafted Butcher enters the battlefield, Phyrexian you control gain menace until end of turn. So now this thing has become challenging to block. Other Phyrexians you control get plus one, plus one. Okay, so now these stupid little disposable Phyrexians are larger and annoying and asking you for impossible blocks in situations where this is coming out of nowhere. And oh, by the way, sacrifice an artifact or creature, return Grafted Butcher from your graveyard to the battlefield, activate only as a sorcery. So pretty good lord on the front side. Then you get some additional protection in the form of this ability that just returns it from the graveyard. Now you have a deck that I really do think is worth building, worth exploring, worth trying to find some way to get all this stuff to work. I mean, even you can even go back to the Berserker as well. I understand that's not a Phyrexian, but that kind of stuff works really well here, adding sacrifice outlets to new spots and just having disposable fodder around for other effects. And there's things like uh, our new village rights, which is called Corrupted Conviction. Additional cost to cast the spell, sacrifice a creature, draw two cards for one being an instant. So there's lots of little pieces around that make all of these synergies look really good. Of course, we had Phyrexian Might producers from the last set, so plenty of disposable fodder around. Really like the way this deck looks. I don't know if it's good, but I know I really, really want to build it. And this is a very powerful way to give this ability to the tribe. Yeah, and even just like a, a three mana, three power creature, when it dies, you basically get another three power creature. That's, great. Like, that's still pretty yeah, that's good great. too. I agree. So shit, man. This this card is pretty nice. I'm with you. All right. Uh tied. Four, sixth, number three, Kogla and Yadaro, two RRGG, legendary creature, ape, dinosaur, turtle, seven, seven. Uh, when this enters the battlefield, choose one. It gains trample and haste until end of turn, or it fights target creature you don't control. Also has two RG, discard this, destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment, shuffle this into your library from your graveyard, then draw a card. I'm just now noticing that it's up to one also. Like, you can just, just cycle this. this if you want yep. to. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Dude, it, this card is so, so generous. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. Just every single part of it is like, why are you letting me get away with this? Like, why do I get a 7-7 seven, seven for 6? I'm very happy with that. Why can it 
either trample in haste and end games on the spot or be a flame tongue kavu and just absolutely murder something why do when i use this do i have to choose only up to one target artifact enchantment and i can just go ahead and, and get a free card here it's so so it's just the, the big one to me is the disenchant also cantrips. That's the one where it's like, okay, yeah, you're really just laying it off. But it cantrips, and then it puts the card back into your deck as well. Like, why? Why is it doing all of these things at the same time? Well, well, that was your Daro text. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I get broadly why, but in terms of just, like, not telling the story and just what this card does, it is freaking wild how much you get for it. And, like, yes, it's a six mana, seven, seven, and that's typically not the type of thing that dominates in Constructed, but... Trample haste is a very big deal. Fighting the target creature you don't control, it's good. I mean, obviously, it has some vulnerability to instant speed removal. I don't think you can do anything about that. But then you just have this bizarro mode, which is so ready to uh, foil some of your opponent's best laid plans. And, you know, cards like Leyline Binding existing, the Kami War, like there's just huge, huge impacts out of enchantments. And we've seen artifact-based decks prop up as well. So... I don't know, man, just covering a lot of bases and it makes me want to play like fair Naya decks, like big Naya decks look very reasonable when you get to add this card to the mix. Yeah, the thing about this card is I don't expect it to be a four of sure in whatever deck it shows up in. And it's also somewhat nebulous as to where exactly it is going to show up. But these type of effects have almost always found a home. And certainly this is like a very, very generous version of it. So uh i i would be pretty surprised if this did not end up seeing standard play even if it looks like things don't immediately line up you know it's like this is one of those cards where it's like people will find a yep. couple of copies of this and there's there's that green battle that ramps uh, i i'm not going to remember the names of the battles ever like that's just something i have given up on but you ramp very nicely into this and then you actually also just get your threat it's invasion of sendikar i looked uh, but you also get your threat if you want to go ahead and challenge that battle right away and we talked a bunch about like are you actually trying to challenge battles especially because invention of zendikar only has uh three power but that does combine nicely with trample like you are almost not ever going to be able to protect invasion from a rampaging kogla coming after it and then you get that four four on the back backside and you have two threats that now have to be answered so really cool synergies going yeah. on here with the ramp spell as well i mean also there's stuff like dejeru and, and hazret which is just like well if you wanted to do your best Winota impression and find a big thing to cast off it. Well, this is Looks great among the best yeah, of them. I'm sure I agree. All right. Uh, another sixth place card, I guess invasion of Gobicon. And I just <laughs> realized when I tried to control F, I have no idea how to spell Gobicon. Um, but I, I think I do now, you know, I think we're there. Uh, this is uh one dub battle. Clicking on it. Yep. Three defense. Mm -hmm. Just confirming. Mm -hmm. uh, when this enters the battlefield, look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it for as long as that card remains exiled. Its owner may play it. A spell cast this way costs two more to cast. Backside is light shield array and enchantment. At the beginning of your instep, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature that attacked this turn. Sacrifice this. Creatures you control gain hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. Uh, we, we talked about this card at pretty long lengths when we first discovered it because it is so surprising so unique in the battle context it does something uh that is like 
slowly seeping its way into white. And we saw with the Elite Spellbinder just how powerful this effect is. Obviously not coming with a beater attached to it, but does have one of only three, uh, one of only two battles in the set with three defense. So it is very, very easy to transform, especially in the color white. And then there's some strategies where this is just extremely, extremely backbreaking. The scalable Anthem is going to just run over some games, especially when you combine it with the fact that you can then protect your creatures, giving them hexproof and indestructible when you flip this thing. I just think this is mostly upside. The one-two curve into invasion of Govacon seems extremely powerful to me. You also, if you kill it, get the buff on that turn since it triggers at the beginning of your end step. Again, a pretty generous effect in my eyes. And I think just like this ability is so critical for white-based aggro decks to compete reliably. And there's another damn good tool for white-based aggro decks in this set. And I, I would be shocked if they don't get a lot more metagame share as we move forward after the release of Mom. Um, and I think this card will be a sizable part of that. Yeah, I agree with all that. I will say, though, that I think it's easy to look at this card and think about how a lot of these effects are like kind of middling and you can see the downside of, you know, if uh, the board is kind of stalemated or if you're in sort of like a top yeah, deck real war bad top or whatever. Deck. And I think that the fact that this card does so much and has the potential to do so much in, and the, the ceiling on this is like you said, one drop, two drop into this where, you get to disrupt them a little bit, potentially transform this immediately, and then you have a thing in play that's both like pumping your creatures and protecting them. It's like, that's just like a free win on turn three mm -hmm. in a lot of instances, you know? And it's like, that ceiling is so high for, yes, a card that may end up having very little impact on the game. So like, how many of these do you actually want to play in your deck? Uh, I mean, if we are talking about like traditional white aggro with uh, a very low to the ground curve sort of thing. It's like a, a solid three of in my mind, but like I could see playing four in a lot of instances. If you're maybe a little bit more mid-rangey, maybe you only play like two. Yeah, I was thinking like know? two main, two sideboard in the typical like aggro deck was the distribution I would start with. But I wouldn't be surprised if I play it and I'm like, oh no, I just want to draw this in every single game. Yeah, or, or like maybe you just you want to draw it early yeah. because that is when it is most effective, right? So I don't know. I, I think... From what I've seen, people have not been super stoked about this card. It's like you see the the times when it does maybe just like win the game for you on the spot, but it's like, oh, well, in order to pump my creatures, you know, they have to like survive in combat and that's not necessarily a given. And this is a thing that you're spending two mana to not impact uh, the battlefield and is certainly not very good if you don't have much of a battlefield presence. You know, it's like the, just the front side is definitely not a card you would play on. So, mm -hmm. Right. So I, I get all that. But at the same time, I'm just like, you, you try and work around that stuff. Right. You try and make this card as effective and as powerful as you possibly can. I think that that's very good. Yeah, play some disposable creatures, you know, make jump attacks, let those creatures get buffed up and find a card which benefits you from having a bunch of disposable creatures out there on the battlefield and maybe gives you a little bit of card advantage too. I wonder if we have anything like that coming up. No, I doubt it. Probably not. It doesn't seem like something this set would be be interested no, probably in. Probably not. Uh, the, 
the last card on the bottom five of our top 10 list kind of breaks my rules because it's sort of a removal spell. This is Invasion of Tarkir, 1R battle, uh, 4 defense? Yes. Uh, five, no, five, 5. 5. 5. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that uh, again today. I was like, oh, does that like move the needle at all? No, it doesn't. But uh, when this enters the battlefield, reveal any number of dragon cards from your hand. When you do... This deals X plus two damage to any other target where X is the number of uh, cards revealed this way. Backside, Defiant Thundermaw, Creature Dragon, 4-4, four, four. Flying Trample. Whenever a dragon you control attacks, it deals two damage to any target. So this is technically a removal spell, but it's like also a threat and also a build around and does enough other things that it's not just like, oh yeah, Stoke the Flames is reprinted or whatever. Let's talk about that. So uh, I, I like this card well enough. And I think it potentially just like adds an entirely new archetype to the format. So that's what we're talking about. I think it could. That's one of the reasons, though, it ended up on our our bottom five as opposed to our top five, though, is it sort of does need a new archetype. Like just this card on its face, this two mana sorcery speed, small removal that could potentially have some upside attached to it. That's not enough to sell me on this card. I think that's a recipe for disappointment. But when you start building around this, when you have dragons in your deck and this becomes a two mana, three damage removal spell, four damage removal spell, five damage removal spell, well, then it's actually legitimately broken in those scenarios. Like it is one of the most powerful things you can possibly do. Uh, and then if you just work around this restriction a little bit of having to transform this battle, and the card that stands out, obviously, is Nahiri's Warcrafting, which just pops this for five immediately. And, like, we talked about that being a good tur- a good curve. Two mana, kill something. Hopefully, you know, three toughness, four toughness, maybe, with a dragon. Three mana, Nahiri's Warcrafting this thing, and you just get your dragon immediately, which is extremely threatening, by the way. Like, that dragon is very, very good on the backside. That all makes sense to me, and I think that is an archetype that I would look to build around. I think Nahiri's Warcrafting is a fine card in and of itself, where you can potentially get an extra card out of it. It's probably not what it's there for. It's there to kill Shieldred and another five uh, defense or toughness things. But when you get that upside, it's nice, and I do think that is a deck worth building. It just has some restrictions built into this card, which is good, because if it didn't, this would be absolutely absurd. Um but these restrictions seem very much worth it. I would build around Invasion of Tarkir for sure. Yeah, two mana sorcery speed deal two is definitely not exciting enough to get me to want to play it in a deck that had zero dragons. But I also don't think that you need, you know, 16 dragons in your deck to take advantage of this. It's like you could just be a, a Zergo and Ojatai deck that happens to play a few of these and... Most of the time, two damage is going to kill something relevant, but there are definitely going to be times where it, it comes up a little bit short. You just need, like, the option, you know, the ability to potentially scale this at some point. I guess, point. too, I, and, the thing that, like, I don't know that we've ever even mentioned this. I mean, it's expressly stated on the card, but it's so weird that I'm not sure we've ever talked about it. It's any target. So you could just go face I, with that this. That was exactly what I was going to say. Next. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, you can go like, face or... Or if you are playing a deck that has, like, a ton of dragons, you could potentially, like, invasion into invasion and just, like, kill the other invasion, you know? Sure, yeah. And just get the party started that way. Yep. 
Uh, obviously, that's that's a little bit of magical Christmas land that requires a lot of very specific cards or whatever. Yeah, you could also yeah, just like go any target lava axe, really lava axe in that spot as well if you're able yes. to do that. So I, I think that'll probably be your more uh, likely play in those scenarios. Yeah, maybe. So, uh, again, very high ceiling on this. The backside is very, very powerful. Uh, five, five defense is a lot, but if you are doing bigger red type of stuff, I mean, generally when you're attacking, you're, you're getting in for upwards of that number anyway. Yep. And a lot of your stuff probably has evasion and whatnot. So, uh, this, this looks really good to me. It's like a, a good piece of glue for, some very specific homes, but is not, you know, bone crusher giant level of ubiquity yep. or anything. Yep. Good way of putting it. All right. That is the bottom five onto the top five. You ready? Pretty good. Bottom five, by the way, those are some damn good cards. It's not bad. It's not bad. All right. Uh, invasion of Alara. This is a battle that is one of every color, five mana total. Uh, when this enters the battlefield, exile cards from the top of your library. Until you exile two non-land cards with mana value four or less, you may cast one of those cards without paying its mana cost. Put one of them into your hand, put, then put the uh, other cards exiled this way on the bottom of your library in random order. And backside is Awaken the Maelstrom Sorcery. This is all colors. Target player draws two cards. This is the one that I just started laughing at because it just does yep, a bunch it of It does everything. Stuff, so. <laughs> Target player draws two cards. You may put an artifact card from your hand onto the battlefield. Create a token that's a copy of a permanent you control. Distribute three plus one plus one counters among one, two, or three target creatures you control. Destroy target permanent and opponent controls. Uh, as far as things that maybe I should have thought about for like Pioneer or Modern, this is up there. I think so. I, I mean, like, <laughs> again, generous. A lot of value. And like, yes, this has seven defense. That's a massive amount of defense. You really have to invest into destroying this thing. But like... Uh, worth it yeah where you can like you can play it's, spells it's that like, pop it for five and you just like get your two drop through pop this for five destroy their best thing all of your stuff gets supercharged like it, it's not so hard to invest two cards into this because you get paid immediately two cards on the backside. so i mean that's a good start for making up any card disadvantage you take by trying to awaken the well, on the front side too uh, yeah so. that's true it's just loaded with value like very much in that Kami War vein where you just get so much and it's appropriate, it being another five-color card. Maybe, maybe better. It's better. Yeah, it's possible. So, so uh, this card it is one of the few battles where it is very close to win the game if you do mm. actually manage to get the backside. I mean, like, the, the spell could still be countered or whatever, right? So you got to kind of work around that. But this is somewhat reminiscent of basically like your opponent's life total is now seven effectively because if if you do manage to actually get this thing off the battlefield how the hell are you going to lose because even if you were behind uh i don't think you are anymore no i i agree 100 i think this deck is just all about like clean mana bases big stupid sorcery spells that just hammer your opponent with threat after threat after threat alongside those very powerful four drop creatures but like you don't need to build around this for less restriction all that much i think you're just going to be very happy with what you turn up the vast majority of the time and sure like you don't want to have a bunch of ones and twos in your deck you're going to very much build towards threes and fours 
that's fine in the standard. Like the threes and fours catch you up. They're so powerful. They can cover a lot of bases. You have modal cards, which you can exploit to go ahead and bridge those gaps between these uh, two values. So I, man, it just feels like another build around. And we know this is not all that troubling of a mana cost to deal with. I expect many, many decks built around Invasion of Alara and standard in particular. You know, my hopes for Pioneer Modern I don't know yet. I I think I am less optimistic there, but there are spells like just ridiculous format. Like Omnath obviously exists. And when when that happens, like an affair deck can be a real thing that you can do and you eventually go off huge with things like Risen Reef into Omnath. Maybe this is just fine. And it's just about adding another consistency piece to what you were doing. You know what, man? If... I would have thought about it a little bit harder. I probably would have played a copy of this in my deck just for fun. Yeah, sure. And for science, I, you know. It wouldn't shock me if at some point you want to play a lot of copies of this card in your deck. Yeah, maybe that's eventually what it leads to. Um, thing I will note, though, is that you're talking about like, oh, you know, maybe focusing more on like threes and fours. And it's like that kind of makes sense, especially in the context of standard, if you're leaning pretty hard on triumphs and whatnot, because you're not really going to be able to curve out all that effectively on like turns one and two anyway. But like, I actually like the idea of just like playing some cheap cards in your deck alongside this because say, you know, if you hit two one mana cards, then yeah, maybe it's, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but like if you hit like a three drop and a one drop, removal totally spell, fine. like a cut down or something, totally fine. you put the cut down in your hand yep. and like, yeah, you invested five mana, you get three mana worth of value in this battle. But like, it then gives you something cheap that you can like weave in on the next few turns. So I actually like hitting cheap stuff. Yeah, it's not this. it's not the worst. It's not the end of the world. I mean, I, I don't want to do the opposite where you're like, I only play one mana cards with this or whatever. But like thinking that this is a card where it's like, oh, you you can't play like low impact stuff in your deck uh, because of this, I think is just wrong. Yeah, I think too, finding those modal cards that really fill out this very nicely, that function as, you know, Obviously, like the adventure cards come to mind where you can go ahead and get your Bone Crusher Giant, or you can, because Bone Crusher Giant stabilizes so hard, or you can just like have the removal spell in hand. Getting that choice is going to be quite relevant a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, I, I guess like fair pioneer decks doing this type of stuff makes sense to me too. This is just a very real value engine. So there, there is the Omnath Bring to Light deck that exists and then there was another version that popped up that was cutting bring to light for just more escape to the wilds mm -hmm. and that is definitely one of the decks that i want to work on not necessarily because i think it's great but i think it is good and uh has a lot of cards that i like you know and this is another card that just kind of like fits in that slot it's just like maybe not the exact top end like not the tippy top end or whatever but certainly a card that you could incorporate into that deck and have a lot of pretty good success with, you know, Feels like so. it, yeah. I like it a lot. Uh, next up Phyrexian sensor two dub three, three creature Phyrexian wizard. Each player can't cast more than one non Phyrexian spell each turn. Non Phyrexian creatures enter the battlefield tapped. More messed up Phyrexians. Like, I just want to find my black-white Phyrexian deck. I've got Skrelv. I've got Lords. I've got Sacrifice Outlets. I've got 
silly got creepy triangle face thing creepy creepy triangle face there's just so much silly silly stuff that this tribe is getting up to i like tribal decks are a sort of a weird sell in this era of magic but man this one seems really good it's doing a lot of disruption a lot of big bodies a lot of challenging play patterns to answer uh and things like bloated processor where we don't typically see these type of effects anymore in magic for very good reason like they're very very hard to deal with and then you have this disruption piece that just goes so so hard for no reason as an uncommon uh you know maybe the best thing that could happen in terms of mitigating this card's impact on the format is that phyrexians are a very real deck and this actually has a hole in its plan because if this is just shutting every single deck in the format down to one spell a turn damn that's like a really good place for these phyrexians to be yeah and it encourages people to look for phyrexians that they may not have played otherwise in order to kind of like break the symmetry too so maybe it's not like everyone is playing phyrexian tribal or whatever but it's like i don't know maybe you you just end up playing like a card or two because it doesn't get punished by this Mm -hmm. thing and yeah but both abilities very good very punishing uh i it seems pretty consistent that when there's uh Archon of Emeria type thing or a thing like this, it just inevitably ends up seeing standard play because there's like some deck that it ends up being super good against, right? Yep. No, I, yeah. I think absolutely. I, I have no doubt that this is going to make a difference. Just look at how good the, the curve is for this deck. Like not only do you have Skrelv at the one drop slot, but you have Progenitor Exarch, which is a card we talked about a little bit. Last week, that's XX White when Progenitor Exarch enters the battlefield, incubate three X times, uh, transform target incubator token you control. So, you know, just a fine one drop that scales very nicely throughout the game. We talked about Lords. I mean, what else do we have in terms of one mana Phyrexian black creatures? Are there any of those we can lean on? Uh, we have this Icker Drinker. Oh, that's kind of lame. I, I'm sure there are more out there. And, and, if nothing else, it is very much worth a scryfall search at this point. Get all your Phyrexians in a row, figure out what you have access to, figure out what spells are going to form the backbone of this deck. You know, are you doing something like uh, trying to convoke a little bit on the top end? Because you know, we're, we're getting there. We're slowly getting to this convoke card that I keep intimating towards. There's, um, there's a lot of good one-drops already, you know? So convoke starts looking pretty appealing yeah. and yeah i was i was queuing up the the search already when you mentioned it so uh progenitor exarch screlv crawling chorus yep. uh a lot dude a lot of the the red one drops are like good phyrexians oh, uh, evolving yeah. adaptive yeah, that's true phyrexian warrior yep uh rust vine cultivator if you want to do stuff like that i don't really think so but basically like all of the toxic cards right if you want to do something like that yep. Uh, that's that's kind of all the ones. Armored Scrap is good. Two mana mana creature. Uh, oh. Uh, Ellis Ilkor, Sadistic Pilgrim. Do you know this card? No, you're going to have to read that one to me. Uh, white Black 2-2, Legendary Creature, Phyrexian Core, Cleric. Death Touch. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. Whenever another creature you control dies, each opponent loses one Ooh. life. I've... I've I've looked at this card for the Legends decks, but I didn't really notice that it was a Phyrexian. Dude, that's it. I mean, Bloated Processor, kill you from wherever. Like, there's there's your yeah. deck. This is this is a done deal. This is a very, very real deck, in my estimation. 
Yeah, and then uh, there's still stuff like Norn's Inquisitor, uh, 2-1-1, ETB Incubate 2, which I think is probably just like good enough on its own, but also has whenever a permanent you control transforms into Phyrexian, put a plus one, plus one counter yep, on it. Seems fine. Oh, the the two drop, two, three lifelinker that you can kick her for one and a B uh, to Gravedigger is also a Phyrexian. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. That card's solid. A lot of card advantage, a little bit of disruption wrapped into this. I'm I'm a buyer. I'm a buyer in the Phyrexians. Venser? I don't think we're doing much proliferating. Mm. No way, dude. Uh, Vron, Executioner Thane is a Phyrexian. Okay. So everything good is a Phyrexian. As it should be. All, yeah, all dude, this deck one. is great. All will be one. This deck is actually great. Like white, black, sacrifice, whatever. Dude, Gix. Gix is awesome. Yep. Uh Glissa Sunslayer. <laughs> the Rat King. Phyrexian Rat. All right. Uh Phyrexian Rager, if only. Yeah, probably not Phyrexian Rager's time. Uh Defiler of Flesh. Which one's that? I'm blanking on it. It's like four mana, four four menace. Uh, your your black spells. Right, right, right. Uh, you can pay two life instead of a black mana yep. or whatever. Okay. So all those things are Phyrexians. Air ties Phyrexian. Yeah, all the good cards are Phyrexians. So it does it does mean that the sensor might be a little bit weaker. But if you're like foolish enough to to not play Phyrexian, yeah, you're just done for. You lose on the spot. Yeah. Obliterator and Vindicator, if you want to play Monocolor. Obviously, Shieldred. All right, well, now I'm in the five-mana stuff. This is not really where I want to be, but, like, the Mastercore, hell yeah. That card is tight. What if I told you there is a five-mana card I'd be interested in for this deck? Especially if we're going to stay oh. very low oh. to the ground. I was like, I would say you're lying, but now I realize what you're talking about. Okay, so the next card, Knight Errant of Eos, four-dub, four-four. Creature Human Knight. It's not a Phyrexian. Bro. I know. Uh, this I don't think convoke. it matters. Convoke. When this enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. Brian, that's danger it text is. for you. It is. I think I can get away with this you one. May, you may reveal up to two creature cards with mana value yeah. X or less from among them. Where X is the number of creatures that convoked this, put the revealed cards into your hand, then shuffle. Uh, this card rules. It's so strong. I like, we lived through the era of mono white on arena. It's when we were playing like the most arena and uh, venerated Loxodon was mad. That was a format defining card, a absolute terror on the battlefield. And this is different. This does something completely different. Uh, I, I, come very close to saying it's better which is like extremely dangerous territory the, the, the reason i say that is because like venerated loxodon so often was as much about itself than anything else it was doing with its pump ability like yes. that was nice but it was yes. just the four four body in this case you get that four four body so we go one drop one drop one drop is our plan and we're just moving right along and then we tap those three and two more mana we get to look at the top six and we are up to three for our mana value of things we get to add to our hand and we get two cards that's so so free to say nothing of the four four we just played on turn three with an additional mana up should we have another one drop and that's why when we're talking phyrexians and we can talk about very very cheap phyrexians i start getting excited 
with this as my top end, which is weird. This human knight is going to step in and fill that role. But like, uh, tell me I'm crazy. Like, it, it just seems completely fine if this is the thing we have to search with. And, you know, if, if our deck is all ones and twos, you, you don't have to convoke three. You can convoke two and still find a very, very nice payoff, especially when you have things like Progenitor Exarch, which scales very well, just weird Phyrexian stuff. Like, if you are able to get up to three and you're finding your sack outlet or your disruption, it all seems very, very good to me. And that says, you know, that's in one specific deck to say nothing of just like, oh, I'll find the best white creatures I can possibly get. All the one drops, line them up, and then this card's going to run over you. You know what I, I kind of just realized is that if you live the dream and convoke five, you can chain these things too. <sighs> that's pretty wild. Pretty wild. You know, like if, if, if the game is like really bogged down, like really going long or whatever, it's like, you have a potential power spike off this card. Yeah, too. you should be able to do that too. Like that's that's not unrealistic when you go six cards deep. Like you could very much chain through a whole host of these. Yeah. So I, I like this card a lot. I, I agree that the four four from Loxodon was very relevant, but in in those decks, the added pressure was was definitely was nice. a very strong sure. part of that yep. card. But like we're we're not necessarily looking to beat down like that deck was looking to beat down, you know? Uh, we we just happen to be doing sort of the same thing that makes a uh, five mana convoke creature also look very appealing. And I think that if if given the choice, I, I would prefer Knight Errant to to locks it on. Seems know? like it, and that's very very high praise. And again, there's also stuff like mid range type of things where it's like, you know, this doesn't have to go in like a white weenie beatdown deck. It can also just be in you know, some token deck or whatever yep. and still looks very serviceable there too. Yeah, and Loxodon Hierarch did eventually branch out. I mean, it never quite shined as brightly as it did in those all one-drop decks, but it did find some other homes as well because this is just a powerful base to work from. And, and again, like this might actually be more powerful and have more flexibility than Hierarch did, so. Yeah, I, uh, there was an Invitational where Jim Davis was playing like Memnite, whatever, yep. venerated Loxodon, and... And I don't know. Now it's like, okay, yeah, going back into older formats, like, is there cool stuff that you can do with this too? Because double Loxodon redundancy that, is a pretty big deal. Yeah, sure. I mean, you could do that if you wanted to. Uh, so that's that's kind of interesting too. I'll, I'll let I'll let someone else do the work for that. I got uh, you know some Sanders stuff to work on, some Invasion of Alara nonsense to work right. on. I got plenty on my plate. Yeah, lots to work on with this set. All right, two cards left. One of them is Ren and Realmbreaker. Uh, <laughs> Josh opened one in his sealed deck, and I was like, oh, I'll be taking that. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> so I already got one of those. Uh, one GG, four starting loyalty, legendary Planeswalker Ren. Static ability of lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color, plus one up to one target land you control, becomes a 3-3 three, three elemental creature with vigilance, hexproof, and haste until your next turn. It's still a land. Minus two, mill three cards. You may put a permanent card from among the milled cards into your hand. Minus seven, you get an emblem with. You may play lands and cast permanent spells from your graveyard. think this is part of my Invasion of Alara deck. I think it's just like good. Smart. Yeah, I think it's just good glue. I think it just smooths out those mana concerns. I will be very happy to find Invasion of Alara with this card. And I... You know, I, I do think that this was very much on the low end of my top five. Uh, it is a card that I do see having some flaws and not having a super immediate home. 
but we know we don't care about that. We make homes for powerful cards and something like there are, there are quite a few cards, especially in green that reference like permanence and ways to go ahead and benefit from that ability. Permanents do so much now. They're not constrained as they used to be. And you can have a deck that is just built around maximizing this minus two ability, like never missing, always just it being choose between three cards, draw it, and having the threat of this, uh, you know, Planeswalker killer from your lands and this late game threat of ultimating and the ability to recycle all these threats over and over and play these never ending games, like all that stuff. It's, it's just so, it's so appealing. Uh, I think like there needs to be a bit of a shift in what standard is about before it shines its brightest. But when it does, when it does, I think this card can be a big part of it. And I'm excited to see how it influences the way those decks are built. Yeah, this is this is one of those cards where you, you're right. Like, there's no obvious home, but it is generally appealing enough that I I wouldn't be surprised if it just ends up showing up in a lot of Maybe. places. Yeah, know? it's possible. And there are two specific points on this card that seem very generous to me. First is giving the land hexproof. It just it makes it so yeah, no punishment. You yeah, you just kind of like get to lock up having a way to defend this thing and yeah you know animate you're like trying to animate to like put on pressure or like attack a battle or a planeswalker or something but if your opponent killed your land then maybe you'd be off of playing like your big card next turn or whatever it's like yeah no you just get to do that with impunity and i i think that that is really really powerful the other thing is like four starting loyalty with a minus two just means that this could potentially just be like a divination if you yep. wanted to with a bunch of selection and also like filling your graveyard and everything. So uh, those those two things specifically to me, I'm just like, yeah, this is this is really nice. Hell of, hell like of a this. top deck, hell of an early play. Like it's covering just so many parts of the game very, very well, which I think is one of the more exciting features of this card. Yeah, and I think that's really important. That's the thing that we don't talk about nearly as often that that I would like, but it's also possibly because there aren't a ton of cards like them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this this is a very, very cheap card that is still a fairly reasonable top deck. Uh especially if the sort of deck you're talking about has, you know, you know, fifty two or something permanent. Which I expect they will. Like, that's that's totally reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean there's there's a bunch of sagas and artifacts and planeswalkers and battles and stuff like that and some of them like invasion of tarkir shieldred type of stuff it's like those are removal, removal spells yeah. so yeah you're getting actually just good selection on this right like can you imagine just like a three mana planeswalker where you get like two impulses out of it just you know that's kind of like the the floor that's not even taking into consideration where it's like you could protect it for a turn yeah. and get two impulses plus or whatever like that's super powerful right and that is basically what this card is providing you assuming that you build around it and i don't think it's that much of a downside to build around it. i think the best and worst thing i can say about this card is that it makes me want to build the rock and any card that inspires yeah. you to build the rock oh is simultaneously dooming you to failure and a really really good card because if it makes you want to build that horrible deck it's doing something very exciting yeah let me go back to 2006 pro tour columbus where i played the rock and let me put this card yeah, in my deck. Be I mean, a it, it would just be hands down the absolute best card in my deck. And uh, my deck was not good. 
you know. Oh, the rock um, never but, is, but yeah. Oh man, that that exact deck, it 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 did bad things to me. It it just tricked me. Uh, it enforces a lot of bad habits. Yeah. Well, the problem was I kept winning. You know, like I won. I won like thousands of dollars in like multiple PTQ, uh, or you know PT invites with it or whatever. It's just like I I just wish that I would have gotten annihilated mm. and then sold all my pernicious deeds or whatever vampiric tutor get out of here yeah life would have been a lot simpler uh it would have been maybe maybe i would have been playing stuff like reanimator or mind's desire a little bit earlier you know yeah you could do that you could just play like those decks and those cards in that tournament instead i was playing you have my elder anyway uh last card we have rona herald of invasion one you legendary creature human wizard one three whenever you cast a legendary spell on tap this tap draw a card then discard a card five phi where that is a black mana or two life. Transform this, activate only the sorcery backside. Rona, Talarian, Obliterator, 5-5, five, five, Legendary Creature, Phyrexian, Wizard, Trample. Whenever a source deals damage to this, that source's controller exiles a card from their hand at random. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield under your control. Otherwise, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. Uh, mostly liking this for the front side. Yep. Kind of liking this because there is just a blue based tier one legendary matters deck in standard yep. already that is also kind of short on two drops and also has a mini uh discard sub theme or whatever uh but damn this card does a lot seems like the easiest ad you could ever get for <laughs> those decks and uh you'll very happily use this to filter your hands and you know one of the downsides of legendary creatures gerald is that it's not good to draw a bunch of them so some filtration mechanism oh, is you don't often say. appreciated and this one is just about as free as they get uh you're you're gonna get to untap this the the body size is fine like one three for two i'm pretty happy to be able to stonewall some two power things and then there's that backside which i i think is very very good in some matchups like actually just game winning in some matchups yeah. so you don't No, it's it's very good it's just like it's like shieldred uh from the top of the sure. chest, it's just like we're we're not banking on this, but games will get to this point, and then it's like, oh, holy yep. shit! Like this, this is really yep. good. And this card will just win those games in a lot of spots. And I, I think in some ways, like I am being influenced by this card's broader potential in Pioneer, maybe Modern, where I think this card might do it. Like this. Feels like combo potential, feels like new archetype potential for sure. I love the fact that it is playing multiple game plans, actually. Like you can go ahead and do the thing where you're just playing Rona plus some good cards, and then all of a sudden you have a combo kill or you have a transformed Rona, which could just as easily be your beatdown win condition. Uh, those are my favorite types of combo decks to play. So I am a big believer in Rona, but also when it comes to the standard contact, it's just the freest ad on our top five list. Like, no way this card is going to see play. Yes, I agree with all that. Uh, is it the most powerful card in the set? Nope. I mean, not necessarily. But, Although in those combo contexts, uh, it's going to feel like it sometimes. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm mostly focusing on standard, not really so much on Pioneer or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the strength of that deck in Pioneer is, you know, somewhat dubious. It is. It is certainly yet to be determined, and I think there are there aren't better options for that sort of thing. But it's like, 
why why play retraction helix when you can play like lotus field you know uh i think you can find reasons for that and i think it's because lotus field does one thing it doesn't think very consistently very well um but that's all it does and one of the reasons lotus field has benefited over these past few months is that nobody really believed in it and they were wrong and i think that trend has started to change quite a bit and people do see lotus field as a real thing whereas if rona is built in myriad ways where you can focus on these combo kills or you can just play fair or you can do both simultaneously or you find new ways to set up combo kills or you're just like eh, i can just you know have one copy of helix in my deck and i have some way to go get it in the spot where this is actually beneficial and uh, cards like mox amber awesome. and rona are just good cards in my deck doing this other thing that's going to be where this card really starts to shine and that's pretty plausible like it's not too hard to just have a one of that unlocks your deck in a pretty dramatic fashion if you have the right pieces around it so it only takes one little tutoring effect before that happens even if it's like a sideboard tutoring effect there's so many ways to make this go down so sure. I, I think there's just a lot of branching potential with rona as a combo card and that's why it's most exciting to me not for its raw output not for the fact that it's you know like, like you said it is somewhat unique but there's many things that sort of tread on the same ground it's just can they do it with as small of a package with such good cards not so sure. Yeah, I mean, I've mostly seen lists that are more all-in combo versions and have not really figured out uh, what, uh, like, oh, I happen to have an, an a good infinite combo in my otherwise serviceable deck or whatever. Like, I am all about those decks, absolutely. But uh, until I see it... Uh, it's it's going to be hard for me to just be like, oh yeah, it's it's there definitely. Like, I'm, be the I'm change you want to see in the world, Gerald. Be the change again, dude. I have a lot on my plate, and this is not my forte. And uh, people it are is mine. really I good. Wish, I wish I had steps. the time to help out with this one. Maybe I'll find a window yeah. to work on a little Rona. Yeah, I mean, when when someone presents a, a list that has a very good like plan a plan b you know then i can do my thing where it's like you know change 10 cards come up with some good sideboard plans then we have a monster yeah. right so until we get to that point that's that's what i'm good at all right but yeah i guess uh in in the terms of like pioneer <laughs> rcq tomorrow it's entirely possible i just play against some rona decks you know it's wild could be could be it wouldn't shock me all right, man. Closing thoughts. Anything you want to say? Good set. Good solid set. Uh, you know, maybe a bit of a step down from the last few, but I'm not even like as we do this top ten. I'm not even sure about that. I just think there's a lot of cool cards here. And uh, is it a little wordy? Is it a little overwrought and complex? Sure. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think you can't deny that. But you know, some of my I will say that's. Some of that is tempered by like returning mechanics being like cycling and convoke and stuff yeah. though, and they're like simpleish mechanics. So I think that that's cool. That's a good sort of fix for that sort of. Only stuff. a few cards in the set that made me laugh out loud. So that's that's pretty good. I, I yes. feel like sometimes I look at these sets and there's like 15 where I'm just my mind is blown from the beginning. Um, but yeah, I, I do think we probably have a contender for wordiest set ever on our hands. But I'll let the mathematicians figure that out. And uh, we can report back on that. But overall, uh, I would say a solid 7 out of 10 is my rating for, for mom. That's a scale based on nothing. Okay. Just whatever yeah, number pops obviously. in my head, I say it. 
I, I feel like seven is a little bit of an insult. You know, I'm like 7.5 min, but like maybe an eight. I don't know. I like this a lot. It's a cool thing. There's a lot of decks I want to build. And that's like one of the best credits I can give to a set, especially at a time when I'm, you know, not playing a lot of magic, but I'm just like, man, I would really like to look through these scryfall searches and put these decks together. So yeah. And in different formats yeah. too. Like that's awesome. Yep. Very true. So I, I think this is a pretty big win. And then I also don't know how this is going to relate to like the aftermath thing, you know, like, should we sort of be evaluating that in tandem with Aftermath? Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We don't we don't know how we're dealing with that one yet. Yeah, it's 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 hard to say, but just in in general, I like this a lot for a lot of different reasons. And certainly, yeah, some of the stuff's very worthy. Some of the stuff made us just cackle in the middle of like reading the cards or whatever. But I also think that that number is down for previous Maybe. sets for whatever yeah, that's worth. So, might be. uh, not not like a, a great indicator or whatever it's like if if that happens at all it is probably a bad sign but you know uh if if this is the last time they do like dfc big creature with hella abilities that turns into a saga or whatever it's like okay good it's, it's not i appreciate it's you. not it's not no I, it might be the last time they do that specific thing they'll come up with something bigger and better yeah. don't you worry even more words cool man uh let's Let's get to building some decks. Uh, for me, Magic, you may be flesh and blood, but like, hey, if you want to dabble in some Magic decks, you know, my my Discord DMs are always open. Well, I, uh, you know, I'm obviously ceaselessly devoted to Magic as I am taking a trip to Middle Earth tomorrow, specifically to prep for the upcoming Middle Earth set. I'm going to head to... Hey, hey, hold on. I don't, I don't think we announced this, but I thought you and I agreed that we're just never going to talk about Middle Earth again on the podcast. No, I'm, I'm I'm all in now. I'm taking a trip to Hobbiton. Okay. And, uh, all right, I will I will skip that week. You just let me know. Okay. But anyway, continue. Continue talking yeah, yeah, about I'm just, I'm just going to go to the Shire, and I'm going to see the film set where Lord of the Rings was shot, and I'm going to learn all kinds of Hobbit facts. And then next time we do a show on Middle Earth, I won't have so many well-actuallys on Twitter, and people won't yell at me as much. And that's all I really want is to not be yelled at. That's like that's my main motivator. That's just not true. Because you're going to have these facts and you're going to get like one slight detail wrong or you're they're going to come at you with the like, oh, you know stuff about Lord of the Ring, name literally every hobbit that's ever existed or whatever. It's like you can't even show uh, a minor degree of confidence because you're not completely all in like they are. I just feel like I'll be able to lord this over some of them, though. The fact that I've been to the movie set like that is that has to be worth some that's credibility points. Maybe, but I think it's going to earn you more ire mm. than anything. I'm also going to the glowworm caves tomorrow. So if there's fans of glowworms, maybe I can get them on my side. I don't know what that is, but that sounds tough. It's caves with glowworms. I, I don't know how to better describe it than that. There's some worms that glow, okay. and they're on the ceiling, and the caves like glow, and it's supposed to be cool. Awesome. Uh, when I was in New Zealand, we did some like touristy stuff. That was not even suggested to me because mm, I would have done it's, that. It's a ways away. It's not in Auckland proper, so I got to take a bit of a trip. But uh, I'm excited. It oh be yeah, cool. no, we we went we went kind of like all over. We went to a few different places. Who did you so. who did you stay with when you were here? Andrew Plinston. Okay, okay, that's all. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. I thought it was somebody else potentially, but no. Uh, I mean, I I'm sure like James James definitely knows him. Yeah, I would expect. If you so. want to ask him about, him. I would expect uh, so. APL is is basically like you know what he was referred APL. to as okay I'll, I'll check it you know i work with a bunch of 
uh, New Zealanders who were in and about the magic scene a bit. So I'll, I'll check it on APL and see if anyone has any info. Yeah. Incredibly gracious host uh, was very, very awesome and nice. Like just cannot say enough good things about him, honestly. And he, he made, he made the trip what it was, you know, like him and his wife, Kaylee, for sure. Uh, I mean, New Zealanders as a whole, awesome people hate to generalize, but everyone I meet is awesome and super welcoming. And I, I'm not surprised to hear that. Is it weird going from like America to a place where people are nice to you? I will tell you the actual weirdest thing. And I didn't realize I was doing this until like, so this is like my third time spending a month plus here in New Zealand now. Yeah. And I realized that when I'm in New Zealand, this is kind of a dark note to end the podcast on, by the way. So I apologize. You can skip it. <laughs> I can't wait. Like. You'd hit me. When I'm in New Zealand, I'm not, and I'm in a public place. I'm not searching for the exits in case someone starts shooting. Like, seriously, I just realized like I, that's not something that crosses my mind. Whereas when I'm in the States, yeah. I'm like, I, I need to be aware of this at all times, I feel like. So uh, like, that's a pretty huge difference. And uh, yeah, like I said, not not the happiest note to end on, but a very real thing that I noticed during this trip. Yeah. So you said dark. I didn't I, I didn't think it was going to be that dark, yeah. but you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, game, game. Man, you, <laughs> like, man, you're, yeah, you're right. That's is a, that is a tough I, place I, I to end on. I told people to skip if they weren't into it. Like I, I put the warning out there. All right, game. Game. Good luck.